When we're talking about behavior, so often people think they didn't have enough motivation to do a certain behavior or create a habit. That's actually wrong. That's a fallacy. In fact, that's a really harmful belief because then we start blaming ourselves and thinking it's all our own fault that we didn't do something. The reality is when you look at human behavior, there are three critical elements that cause a behavior to happen. Motivation is one of those. This is Getting to Yes, the podcast with leaders from all walks of life, exploring their successes, mistakes, and lessons learned in influence and persuasion. Getting others to say yes, and then taking an insight or two to help them achieve even greater things. Habits, whether positive or negative, rule your life. So I feel it's worth considering whether your current habits serve you optimally, and if not, how to change them simply and sustainably. So there's really no better expert to help us unpack this than my dear friend and renowned behavior change expert, Linda Falk Phillips, director of the Tiny Habits Academy. Linda spent over 33 years studying health behaviors, including nutrition, fitness, and mental health, and has coached over 15,000 individuals and professionals how to create habits quickly and easily without relying on willpower. So, Linda, welcome to the show. Hey, thanks, Uli. I'm so glad to be here. You and I were hanging out earlier this month at my Kim's event, and we got to talk about the ABCs of habit formation. I felt you and I really speak the same language when it comes to habits and how the brain either enforces certain habits. I know you're, you're a mother of eight, and let's start by talking about you know how you got into this field and how tiny habits and habit formation really has helped you in your personal life? Well, as you just mentioned, being a mother of eight children, it's in, in essence, I have my own behavior lab within the walls of my home. Raising children always is a challenging process. No matter how old your children are, whether they're toddlers or adults, you still have an impact and you're always trying to help them create better habits so they have a successful life. Now, to answer your question about how I got into this field I got into it by working with my brother, Dr. B.J. Fogg, who is a world-renowned specialist and expert, I guess I should say expert, at Stanford University on research and habit formation. And in the early days of the development of the tiny habits method that he created, I was working with him before that in the area of online behavior, basically doing some training and some teaching around the globe on social media and, and online behavior, primarily focusing on parents and helping parents understand their children's online behavior. I was a consultant for Facebook for a period of time. I don't know if I always want to share that information, but that's, <laughs> I did have that experience. And as I went through that experience, I knew it was short term. And then when the opportunity opened up to work in the habit formation world with BJ, I definitely jumped on that. And we have had a lot of fun. We're a great team because he's, the, I like to say he's the brain and I'm the brawn, meaning he's got all the knowledge, the information and the expertise and does all the research and studies around habit formation and behavior change. And I'm able to apply it within my scope of work with my, with not just within my household, but I've got a lot of clients in the health and wellness business and industry that I've worked with for years. Now, when we're talking about behavior change, and habits fall under that behavior change umbrella, it's important that we understand how human behavior works. And that's, this is the foundation of really understanding your own behavior as well as behaviors of those around you and including your clients and your family. 
When we're talking about behavior, so often people think that it's just about motivation, that they aren't motivated enough or they didn't have enough motivation to do a certain behavior or create a habit. That's actually wrong. That's a fallacy. In fact, that's a really harmful belief because then we start blaming ourselves and thinking it's all our own fault that we didn't do something. The reality is when you look at human behavior, there are three critical elements that cause a behavior to happen. And this is a given for any and every behavior. Those three elements, aren't, motivation is one of those, but the other two elements that often are unknown or overlooked are somebody's ability to do that behavior and a prompt. The prompt is a call to action. So if you look at every behavior that you do, those three elements are always occurring at the same time for that behavior to result. For example, imagine that somebody rings your doorbell. That's a call to action to answer the door. You know, that's the prompt. Now, if you're at home, or and if you're available, you have the ability to answer the door. And oftentimes you're motivated because you want to see who's on the other side. Now, many of us have like those ring doorbells that somebody rings the doorbell. It notifies us on our phone, but we're not home. So we don't really have the ability to physically answer that door. So the ability is missing in that. And sometimes if you're like me, I'll still pull up my camera that's on my doorbell and I'll see who's at my door. It might be a neighbor and then I can answer it from a long distance because I'm motivated to say, hi, how are you doing? I'm not home right now. But as you can see with every behavior, and so start watching your own behaviors, watch the behaviors of those around you and start analyzing for that behavior to happen, what was the prompt? What was their ability to do that behavior when the prompt was delivered? And what was their motivation? And so it's not just one of those, but all three of those need to occur at the same time for a behavior to occur. Yeah, and I remember you saying that it's important that these three things happen to have at the same time. And it, the, the environment really plays a super big impact on whether a request is actually leading to action or not. That even if the prompt happens, if you're in the wrong surrounding, in the wrong environment, in the wrong mood, then even though all the other two elements are in place, you're not compelled to do action or action is now turning more into procrastination or you, you don't really want to do it. And so I think this is where for me and you know what we're covering on this podcast, it's, it's so important to understand how can I change the inputs or the environment so it's more likely that I for myself want to do the habit or that it's easier to influence others to do the habit. Yes. When I spoke in Nashville and you were at that event, I drew out a graph that's called the Fog Behavior Model Graph. And, you know, we're talking through this orally as opposed to visually. But if you can visualize a graph that is basically has the long end on the left hand side of the graph, you know, from top to bottom is the indicator for motivation. And motivation does range from high to low. The bottom end of this graph, the bottom dimension is ability. And ability also ranges from high to low. And of course, the high ability is on the right side of the end of that line. Low ability is on the left side. And as you'll recall, as we were talking about this, I also drew a curved line in the middle of the graph. That curved line indicates that there is a relationship between ability and motivation that needs to converge above this action line when the prompt occurs for that behavior to happen. So it basically identifies and states out the relationship that you do need to have motivation but you also need to have the ability and a motivation ability can fluctuate. If there's not enough motivation or that something is difficult to do when the prompt occurs to do that behavior and that prompt throw, falls below that action line, then that behavior will not happen. 
So as you're going through life, or for example, if you have children that you're trying to get your children to do a certain action, or let's take it down to a partner or a spouse. Imagine that you're trying to get your husband or your wife or somebody in your household to do a certain behavior, like maybe take out the garbage. Not a fun chore, but one that is necessary. Now, in my case, if I were to ask my husband, hey, Brent, will you take out the garbage? If that's a call to action, you know, that's a prompt. If he's at home and not really occupied doing anything else, and he has the ability to say, oh, yeah, and takes out the garbage. And of course, we all know our spouses are motivated to keep us happy, right? <laughs> so, exactly. So that behavior will occur. Conversely, here again, another example is if we're driving from like the grocery store or something together, and I say, hey, Brent, when you get home, will you take out the garbage? Now, that's a prompt, but it's not an immediate prompt. I'm going to have to rely on his memory to do that. So it's really important that when you're trying to help people change behaviors, that you deliver a, an immediate prompt or design. This is in, in behavior design. You design a prompt that occurs immediately when they have the ability and the motivation to do that behavior. So needless to say, whether or not we got home from the grocery store, I could remind my husband again once we walked in the door, but the prompt was delivered at a time where he did not have the ability to do that behavior. So again, the marketer in me now starts thinking when we are asking our prospects to do anything, one of the things is really asking yourself, what are the chances that they have the ability to act on this? Maybe the request was way too complicated and now they feel I don't have the ability to do it or the timing is not right versus making it smaller. And then also the other axis, how can I make my request sexier? You know, How can I put more of the, you know, what's in it for me in there so yeah. that people understand, oh, yeah, this is actually benefiting me. And now I'm more motivated to pay attention to it and move that direction. Exactly. So you can motivate the ability, somebody's ease of doing something, as well as the motivation. So often, especially in the world of health and wellness, or even in the world of marketing, we only think about motivation. We're not really focusing on increasing somebody's ability to do that behavior when the prompt has occurred. You and your brother have worked on the Tiny Habits methodology for decades. And, you know, as a director of Tiny Habits Academy, you're working with individuals all the time on practically changing their behavior. You know, if we take people through the process, how do you actually quickly form a habit by using the Tiny Habits method? Yeah, the Tiny Habits method was developed by my brother, Dr. B.J. Fogg, in 2011. And we've seen a lot of people replicate or knock off a similar method, but they miss some key elements and some important parts. And so we're going to go through that right now. And, you know, you might say, well, how does this relate to the Fogg behavior model? And why did we cover that and lay that foundation? It's because as we remember, you know, the Fogg behavior model, it applies to the tiny habits method. There are three key elements. We call it in, in we call tiny habits a recipe because you can revise them. But there are three key elements in the tiny habits methodology. The first element is the anchor moment. It acts as the prompt. An anchor moment is an existing routine that you can attach a new behavior to. And I'll give you some examples of that in just a minute. The second element of the tiny habits method is the behavior. That's the B. You mentioned ABC. So A is anchor moment, B is the behavior. But the behavior needs to be so tiny that it is really easy to do, that you're increasing the ability to do that behavior. We do not rely on motivation or willpower to create habits in the tiny habits method. It is the only scientifically proven method available in the world right now, and it is the most effective method that has been developed in creating habits. And the C part of the method is the celebration. 
This is where a lot of people go astray when they're either reteaching or talking about BJ's method that are not trained professionally as a tiny habit certified coach. The C represents that we all use emotions to create habits. We need to tap into our emotional positive feelings and reinforce those feelings, use those feelings to reinforce that behavior. For example, there's, and I'm going to bust a couple of myths right now. One of the myths out in the world today is it takes 21 days to create habits. That's a fallacy. There is no magic number of days that will create a habit. What creates a habit is the positive emotion that's attached to that behavior. It actually creates endorphins and dopamine, which in turn causes you to want to repeat that behavior again and again because we feel good about it. Yeah, and, and that's, so that's exactly when... bringing it back to the neurochemistry, you know, from, from my days as a PhD chemist, you know, ultimately dopamine is the motivation molecule in a way that neurochemically it makes you feel good about it. It, you know, it rewards a preceding behavior. And, you know, the more you can force dopamine release, the more you want to yeah. do the behavior. And so obviously anybody that has, you know, this is where addictions come to, from too, yeah. right? You know, it doesn't take 21 exactly. days to create an addiction. If the dopamine endorphin release is so strong, it can happen actually very quickly that you become addicted. And obviously that's a negative behavior, a negative example, but the opposite is true as well. Yeah, well, good habits and bad habits are formed in exactly the same way. And so the same principles apply to the example that you just shared in the addiction. I think we probably understand that a little bit more on how that chemistry works as opposed to how we can now capitalize on that chemistry to create good habits. So that's what the tiny habits method is, is the, you know, using an anchor moment to prompt the behavior and then reinforcing that behavior immediately with a positive emotion. In our studies and research, we have found that that immediacy needs to be one, two, three seconds after that behavior occurs. That's how fast that needs to be. And you might say, well, what do you mean by a celebration? Is it a glass of wine? Is it a piece of chocolate? Maybe a new pair of shoes? No, those are all rewards. Rewards are great, but rewards do not create habits. It's the instant attachment of a positive emotion that creates the habit. And so it could be something as simple as, you know, reflecting on a good memory. Or like on, in my case, I have, I use a screensaver on my phone. I've got an adorable picture of two of my granddaughters that oftentimes I'll just pull up, you know, I'll just pull up and look at, and, oops, I've got a message there. Anyway, I have a picture of my granddaughters on my phone that I'll tap on my screensaver. I'll see Penelope and Eloise. It immediately pulls up those positive emotions that I have for them. And then I can use those emotions to reinforce that habit. Or it could be something as simple as saying, yes, good job or way to go. Or I can also reflect, and this is what we're now developing, that is a purpose-focused celebration, which means, for example, one of my clients designed the tiny habit recipe of after I open the fridge, I'll take, a, take one item of food that's not healthy for me and throw it away. Because he was really focusing on a healthier lifestyle and eating, feeding his body good nutrients as opposed to mm -hmm. junk food. And when he did that, he every time he would do that, he would reflect on, yes, I'm doing this to be around for my kids' graduations and marriages. And so that's what we call a purpose-focused celebration, where there's a bigger purpose behind doing that behavior that you reflect on, and then use that good positive feeling to reinforce that behavior. Yeah, I love what you did at Mike Kim's event, where you had everyone essentially create these micro celebrations. And, you know, what I've found interesting is that, as you said, it can be, you know, the more senses you stimulate, the better, the more you anchor this in. So auditory, 
you know, kinetic and, you know, maybe visually as well. So, you know, that fist pump or whatever it is, as you said, to reward you immediately, you know, after, you know, you did something right and something that you want to reward yourself with. Yeah. To reinforce. Yeah, exactly. Well, let's go back a minute and talk about the A and the B part because we, you know, we can talk a little bit more about the emotions creating habits and how to tap into those through celebrations. But the A part, the anchor moment part of the tiny habits method is what's going to prompt the new behavior. One of the exercises that I have the professionals that I train to use the tiny habits method with their clients is I have them do in essence like a food log, but I have them record all of their existing routines in in a given day. And it takes two or three days to really start recognizing and realizing how many we have. But everything such as getting up, brushing your teeth, taking a shower, flushing the toilet, making coffee, you know, all of these things are existing routines that then we can attach a new behavior to so that anchor moment will prompt that new behavior. And so uh, one of my favorite tiny habit recipes, and, and I'll explain why I love this recipe, it's one I always recommend to my clients, is what we call the Maui habit. And the Maui habit is after my feet hit the floor in the morning, that's the anchor moment, I will say it's going to be a great day. That's the tiny behavior. And then in my life, I celebrate it by two thumbs up and saying, yes, I got this, or something that helps me feel more positive about starting the day. Several years ago, I was in the midst of a lot of challenges and a lot of hardships and was really struggling mentally and emotionally, just even, you know, just even to function. Some of the events that had put me in that situation was the sudden death of my son, uh, who accidentally overdosed on oxycodone. Following that was a life-threatening horse accident that I had, you know, within a year following my son's death. On the tail end of that, we were we used to have a home building business here in Las Vegas and the housing crisis really took us out of the game. I mean, completely wiped us out. So we were struggling with that. Um, we had to file bankruptcy as the re- result of the housing crisis crumbling around our feet because we were just, you know, we were a pretty successful home builder, but we were a family run home building builder. And so we mm-hmm. had a hard time weathering that storm. And in the midst of this, I got really discouraged and really basically depressed and apathetic. On a call one day with my brother, with BJ, as we were talking, and this was in the early days of Tiny Habits, he suggested that I try the Maui habit because he knew I was pretty, pretty depressed and felt very overwhelmed. And he said, hey, Linda, why don't you try this habit and see if it helps you? Well, at that point, I was so desperate. It's like, well, I'll try anything. And knowing he was pretty smart, I really didn't think it would have an impact. But it's like, eh, okay, I'll, I'll try it. As I started practicing that habit on the following days, so every morning as my feet hit the floor, I would say, yes, it's going to be a great day or it's going to be a great day, you know, some version of that. And then I would attach a positive emotion to that. What I found very quickly is that moved me from the mindset of being a victim to being a victor. And that surprised me. But this small, tiny habit had a big impact on my day, which in turn had a big impact on me and my family. It gave me back the power that I already had, but I didn't realize that I had, but I made the conscious decision to make my days great. It gave me back the power to control my day as opposed to my day controlling me. So this is just one example of how how impactful the tiny habits methodology can be depending on what you're wanting to do and the habits that you're wanting to create. So as a result, for the last probably 10 years, every day, that's how I start my day. Yeah, some days are hard. Some days are difficult and you know that. And some days you you, you don't feel very um, congruent if you get up and say it's going to be a great day when you know you have challenges. But this is the beauty of the tiny habits method. You can revise that behavior 
to say, it's, I'm to after your feet hit the floor, say, I'm going to make it a great day for my spouse, or I'm going to make it a great day for you know, someone in particular, and put your focus on that. Shortly, you know, in the midst of, well, I guess it was about 2014, my husband was diagnosed with early onset Alzheimer's at the age of 58, in the middle of all the crises that we mm-hmm. were facing. That also was a really huge blow. And as we went through that process of him declining and and losing his cognitive health, physically he was healthy, but his cognitive health, I was able to use the tiny habits method to help keep my my positivity intact and really be able to show up as my best self on a daily basis. One of the habits that I designed was after I flushed the toilet, you know, an anchor moment that occurred frequently throughout the day, after I flushed the toilet, I will think of one person that I'm grateful for and then celebrate them. That helped me keep a positive mindset as I went throughout the day. And then I realized in the midst of this challenge where I felt very isolated and very alone, that I wasn't isolated at all. I had a lot of support, a lot of people that were pulling for me and available to help myself and my husband. But this is the process that tiny habits and also the variation, the pearl habits can have on people's lives where it helps them create the positive momentum and also helps them create the beauty in their lives as well as be more productive. Yeah, let's get to the pearl habits in a moment. I don't know if it's a German saying or if it's an American saying, but uh, it goes something like the way you start the day, the way the day will end. And so if you start Mm -hmm. the day on the wrong foot, then the day is probably not going to go right. And despite all what's going on in your environment, you know, you choosing to start the day in an intentional manner, um, in a positive manner that has obviously sets your brain up for certain neurochemicals again, you know, certain expectations that previously I talked to Billy Sticker in a previous episode and we talked about that you have to expect something to actually come from it. So if you set out the day with the expectation, this will be a great day, the chances of that actually happening is much higher because your subconscious self really expects that's what you keep telling yourself, what's going to happen, and then it comes true in a, in a way. So... I love this. Now, you mentioned, you know, pearl habits, uh, a concept that's very near and dear to your heart that helps people create beauty from irritants and challenging that, you know, life is not all rainbows and such. So um, let's let's dive into this one. When people go through these major life-changing moments like you with your husband and Alzheimer's, how does pearl habits fit into this? And, you know, where can people what's the first step that people should take towards that end? Yeah, this is really the application of the tiny habits method that is so transformative for us because we all have challenges. We all have irritants, even small irritants on a daily basis. The pearl habits method is applying, finding that irritant, which is the anchor moment and anticipating that irritant and then designing how you want to respond in, as a result of that irritant occurring or that challenge or even that negative thought. Oftentimes we struggle with negative thought or, you know, really feeling like, oh, we didn't do enough or, you know, I, you know, I'm, why'd I do that? I was so dumb. You know, we struggle with that. And that, the way that we think is a learned pattern. And we can change the pattern that our brain processes those thoughts by using the Pearl Habits Method, where when that negative thought occurs, in fact, Dr. Daniel Amen is one of my clients, and when we're working with him on creating tiny habit recipes for his Brain Fit Life program, one of the tiny habit recipes that we, we designed was when I have a negative thought, you know, that's an irritant or a negative experience, what he 
uh, that habit that we design, designed for him and what he suggested, which actually is true, is when I have a negative thought, I will ask myself if it is true and then celebrate the fact that, you know, good job, I'm questioning this, or yes, you know, I, I'm, or you would say, no, that's not true, but you still attach a positive emotion to the fact that you're questioning those thoughts. In his work, he has said that most of the thoughts that we have are not accurate or are not valid. And so by the mere fact or creating the habit of questioning that thought when that thought occurs helps you realize that that is an unrealistic thought and not accurate. So that's one of the ways that you can do that. Another, for example, two years ago, the catalytic converter was stolen out of my car. Unfortunately, mm. that's sort of common right now here in the U.S., and so, you know, I had to drive a car around for a little while that was very, very noisy. And it was an irritant to me. Every time I start my car, you know, I sort of forget that my catalytic converter was there. Without a catalytic converter, your car sounds like a freight train. You know, <laughs> it is just really loud. And it actually, lucky I didn't get pulled over. It's actually illegal to drive without one of those. It took three months to get that part to replace it for my car. I still had to drive my car. But every time I started my car and he would hear the roar of my engine, it was easy to get irritated about that or easy to get mad. But then I realized I could apply the Pearl Habits method to that situation because getting irritated or mad only hurt me. It didn't hurt anybody else. And so what I did is when I turned on my car and heard my engine, what I told myself is I'm so grateful they left the rest of my car. And then I'd celebrate that fact that I still had a car to drive. That might sound silly, but what that did is it diffused my negative emotions or the negative, the anger that I had towards that and help me focus on gratitude, that I was glad that I still had a car to drive. And so it's a way that you can design how you show up and be able to show up as your best self in light of difficult challenges or life-changing challenges, as well as those little irritants that we have on a daily basis. Yeah, I love this. Obviously, a lot of people have maybe their morning or evening routine where they're journaling and maybe they have a gratitude journal. I, I love that you embed it throughout the entire day, that it doesn't just have to happen at the in the morning and it doesn't even have to be as formal as, you know, journaling about, you know, what you're grateful for, but just having these micro moments throughout the yeah. day to keep snapping yourself out of the funk. And, you know, it's just like a plane auto correcting, flying over the Atlantic. It's like, okay, eventually it's a series of course corrections to get yeah. you to the de destination and ensure that you stay sort of on the positive side of, side of you know, how you want to feel Etc. And then I think the other thing that comes up for me is just how the brain makes decisions. If you can preview negative or challenging situation and, and play it in your mind and come up with the most adequate response for you, it just saves so much more energy. You know, all these ruminations or these worries or anxiety, we're kind of procrastinating about making a decision, how we will react in that moment. And so very few people... I've ever heard talk about, okay, make the decision first. And then when the situation arises, you know exactly what you want to think or feel or where this needs to go, which ultimately I think reduces all the craziness in, in, in people's life. You know, all this, the decisions that deplete your cognitive reserves during the day, if you have more better framed up pathways, it's, it's easier to, to handle and, and protect your reserves. You're absolutely right. And you knowing more about the neuroscience and how the brain functions, yeah, you understand how that really is beneficial. With the Pearl Habits, what it gives you the opportunity to do is to, re to when things happen to us, oftentimes we, re we react. 
And we look back on that and go, oh, I reacted very poorly, or I should have done something different. And it helps you avoid that kind of an experience where you're able to respond. You're resp- you know, so when that, inc- when that prompt occurs, when that irritant occurs, you're able to respond positively as opposed to react in a manner that might be damaging or negative. And so it really is a skill and a tool that everyone can use on a daily basis if they have just ongoing irritants or things, like even somebody that cuts you off in traffic, that's an irritant. One of my, ha- my pearl habits is when somebody cuts me off in traffic, what I say is, I hope you get where you're going safely. So here again, rather than being, oh, you idiot, you know, or, or whatever, mm-hmm. say, why did you do that? I send them a good wish that they get where they're going safely because obviously wherever they're going or whatever reason they cut me off for, maybe they weren't paying attention, but I'm assuming that it's an important reason. And rather than getting irritated, I'm able to control myself and how I respond positively so that I, it doesn't ruin my day or it doesn't damage you know, the next few hours that I'm in a, a bad, bad mood, so to speak. Absolutely. I love it. Let's talk about your free five-day program to build habits. I know hundreds of thousands of people have gone through it and it's a free program, but it's so powerful to really start understanding how to build habits in your own life. You want to talk a little bit about that and then maybe also talk about the professional certification that you help individuals with? Yes, our free five-day tiny habits program can be joined by anybody. There's several ways you can join it, but the best and the easiest way to join it is at tinyhabits.com backslash join. We run this program every day of the year, every week of the year. And what we do is it's it's an email-based program. So it takes about 15 to 20 minutes to design your recipes and get set up. And then after that, it takes about five minutes a day to implement. And we have a coach that we assign to you, one of a real live person, and it's all email-based. So there's a, an automated process where we send you guidance on a daily basis, and then you respond to that guidance and also respond with questions. The coach that you're assigned to will read your questions and will give you guidance. This is a program that is very transformative and in as little as five days helps people have breakthroughs in different areas of their mm-hmm. lives. What we measure by this program is that 98% of the people that go through this program start having more confidence in their ability to create habits and, and changes in their life in just those five days. We also measure where I think it's eight, our latest statistic is 89% of the people that go through the five-day program have created an automatic behavior within that five-day time frame because they are guided by the coach and by the individual and by the content in the program to find good anchor moments, to make the behavior tiny enough that it's really easy to do, and then to reinforce that behavior with an instant celebration. We do this as a service simply because we know how impactful and transformative the tiny habits method is. And we want to make the basics of the method accessible to anybody that is interested in learning new habits or designing this method and putting it into their lives. So that's our five-day tiny habits program. It's a great program and we get amazing results from it. Our The other thing that you mentioned is we do have a training for professionals that want to use the tiny habits method in their practices. This is a method that I describe by it really is the how to help your clients create those changes. You know, the how to all the other what to do that you're trying to get your clients to do. This is the missing piece. A lot of our coaches, and we call them our coaches, but there are trained professionals that have gone through the program, say that this is the piece that connects all the dots and make what they try to help their clients do more effective. And so this is a seven-week training that we do live on Zoom in very small groups. 
And this is a training that we go in depth with the Tiny Habits Method. We teach you about the nuances. We teach you and train you how to help your clients, how to design recipes, how to revise recipes, and how primarily to help them learn how to celebrate. The results of this program are phenomenal. We have doctors, nurses, dietitians, health financial planners, health coaches, you name it, anybody that's working in the industry of trying to help people create better habits or change their behaviors. It makes them more effective. And also their clients tend to be more sustainable, meaning they stick around longer. They have a longer lifetime as a client because they're able to help their clients finally achieve what they want to achieve and do it in a manner that helps them to create those habits. Yeah, it's an absolute no-brainer for, as you said, anybody that's involved in transforming their clients' lives, careers, yeah. etc. Um, that if you understand how the brain wants to work, then obviously we can design better pathways that make it easier for the brain to do what it already wants to do. So thank you so much for sharing all these gold nuggets, the ABCs. I, the, I think there was so much actionable information in here that people can definitely see that the Tiny Habits program may be for them. Do you want to end the episode with final words from your end? Thanks for giving me that opportunity, Uli. My final words are to be kind to yourself and to realize if something's not working, usually it's not because you don't know how or it's your fault. It's because you're not using the right approach. And let us help you with that. Let us help you put that hope back into your life. This is what we see a lot from the five-day program. It gives people back the hope that they can make the changes that they want to have in their lives. And it gives them the evidence that they can actually do it. So my invitation is to come join us either in the free five-day program and try out Tiny Habits for yourself. Or you can also go to tinyhabitsacademy.com where we have options to continue to learn more in depth about the Tiny Habits methodology, including being certified. Well, thank you so much, uh, Linda, for an excellent episode. And for everyone else listening, we'll see you next week. trust this episode was inspiring and that you'll join me for a new episode each and every week. And if you enjoyed this episode, hit subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, Spotify, or wherever else you are listening. And feel free to share it with colleagues and friends. I'm your host, Uli Iselo. See you next week. Music